0: I'm sorry. Perhaps this is a bad time. I'll just file the ticket tomorrow.
1: Next thing you know that, Adeline will be trying to get me to raise the stone army again.
0: What a lot of rubbish.
2: And I just want to wake up from this terrible dream! Just wake up! Just wake up! Charlie's missing. I, I don't know where she is. Well, this must look very bad indeed though I were following you around but I hope you know that this is purely the most astonishing of
1: coincidences Joan Joan you turned in Joan
2: oh no please don't break them up it it just wouldn't be right dare you you
0: damn you now that my stinky fellow is the best thing you have said all day Mifto, what are you doing, you'll get yourself hurt.
2: She will unleash catastrophe on us all.
1: Hey everybody, Daniel here, and you've undoubtedly noticed that our volume of stories has dwindled a bit over the past few months as we continue to narrow the focus of our podcast. And since most of the kids are well away from college, although uh, for those of you that are bundling down with the coronavirus here, which is probably everybody, everywhere, our best uh, wishes and thoughts and prayers go out to all of you, and uh, hopefully our podcast and stories that we tell can be a bit of entertainment uh, as you make your way through this this crazy time. In any case, uh, we've wrapped up the the main storyline that we have, actually all the main storylines uh, that we had going, uh, but Charlie Saves Christmas wrapped a couple weeks ago in our finale episode. So we're going to take the time here to, uh, to do a bit of a, a review and a recap of, uh, of some of the characters. We've got a little bit of behind the scenes that we'll talk about, as well as uh, some blooper reels. And, and I kind of want to go character by character, or at least actor by actor. And, and talk a little bit about them and the work and how they built the character, and, and kind of pick an iconic scene and let you uh, listen in on some of those iconic scenes. So batten down, settle in. I've got actually two episodes planned. One is going to be called uh, "Charlie's Heroes," that will be this week, and then we'll do next week look at uh, Charlie's villains. So here, here we go. Uh, without further ado, here are Charlie's heroes.
0: I am Charlie, and this is my company. Well, now, wait That mm? nope, try that one more time. I could teach you some proper phases. Mm, not phases. One more time.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love my Aunt Noni, and I wouldn't want, mm, nah. Words are hard today. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let me score cord up. shut <laughs> <laughs> so that down. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I lost myself. Do you want me to do multiple sniffs? I, I like
3: that. Cool. Yeah.
0: It's too sad.
3: I'm not having fun anymore, Daniel.
0: <laughs> Sadness.
1: <laughs> it's too sad. I can't deal with it.
0: Emotions.
1: <laughs>
0: I lost my place. Hold on. <laughs>
1: So the first hero we're going to, to look at is, of course, Charlie. I'm going to have to almost start there with my lead. Uh, played by Jolene Fresquez, who uh, you can also find on the phenomenal audio drama series uh, that is put out by our good friends over at Dice Tower Theater. Now you'll find Mike. Uh, Mike plays a couple of the villains, so we'll talk a little bit more about him. But i have got a couple clips as well because he is... Uh, He's the director over that group, and he does some vocal coaching. So when I received the lines from Jolene, I would hear a little bit of um, of Mike in the background every once in a while. A breathy kind of... There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's an amazing Sorry. thing to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> <I was> doing... <laughs> Daniel's getting some good stuff on this one.
3: <laughs>
0: okay, let's try it.
1: Not, it, is it supposed to be excited?
0: It's excited, yeah. Oh, okay. With delight.
1: So you know what? Give give a like a <gasps> like some, some gas. More
0: tacky. of a gas than yeah. okay.
1: Yeah, then he's got something to play with. Sweet. Try that. <gasps> Amazingly, though, even though Jolene has the bulk of the dialogue, uh, there are very few bloopers at all to even t- to pull from. We've got a couple here, and so I'll or I think I put them right before the start of this piece. Um, but as with all the characters the the approach that I took is I wrote, wrote the season in sort of two halves I uh, started off initially just wanting six episodes and then it turned out to be eight and then we went to a full ten so there was a natural sort of split and uh, what I wound up doing was writing the first half so they got uh, kind of the first four or five chapters or so and based upon their acting and what they gave me and how they develop the characters on their own because I didn't honestly give them a whole lot of direction and so, said, "Hey, I want the character to be kind of this, and here's the the whole scene." So they would uh, oftentimes read it within the scene and then interpret how they would want the the character to be. So really, from a, a director standpoint, I, I did very little little work at all. Uh, this this really the everything that came together was really the the actors uh, and they they did a, a phenomenal job and, uh, and Jolene was just. Frankly, amazing. I, I mean, you really think it's a, it's a young girl, and uh, and Julian's young. I mean, compared to to me, for sure. But she's not, not a child, and plays the part of a child, and it sounds like it's a child. I don't know how in the world she did that, but uh, she, did, well, I mean, she's obviously just an amazing actor. And so, anyway, what I found is that in in the first section of these. So for Jolene, she'd give me the whole first four chapters. Some of the other ones would give them week after week after week. So I got kind of the first half and then I got the second half. But based upon what I was getting from my actors, I would then do some rewrites. And I guess, I don't know if anyone normally does that, if it's a normal thing, but that's kind of how I I did it because they would shape the character. And then based on that, I'd say, oh, you know, the, the way that they've kind of crafted this character. It'd be cool to do these sorts of things. And so for a couple of them, I actually created an entire new scenes and took the story in uh, not, a, not a totally different direction, but for Jolene, she was just exceptional. And you could tell that, I could tell that from the, the very first lines that I got from her. And so I was able to, to write Charlie uh, exactly the way that I wanted Charlie to be with no hesitation, with no fear, and the full range of emotion. And there's some really cool scenes that we wound up, being able to do uh, because I had Jolene as my lead, and she really set that mark and set that tone for everybody and for the whole story. Uh, and so, Jolene, thank you, thank you for just absolutely knocking it out of the park uh, every line, every time. And and she gave me multiple uh, lines for each part, so I wouldn't just get one kind of done, but she'd do it in a couple different ways. And it was just amazing to to listen to sort of uh, the behind the scenes pieces there. The favorite scene and section from her was really early on in the chapter two. And then continuing in chapter three is uh, the dialogue in the cave. And so, uh, for those that don't quite understand the, the background behind the Charlie story, Charlie is dealing with the, the sort of the emotional um, fallout, uh, a result of her sister going off to this prestigious school. And, and together, her sister and, uh, and Charlie had lost their mother. Uh, We don't know exactly what happened. We believe that she died. And they were adopted by their aunt, who is uh, their mother's sister, Joan, uh, or Aunt Noni, as they call her. And then suddenly, Charlie's now lost, essentially, her sister. Her sister hasn't died, but she's moved away. And so it's just Charlie alone by herself. And she's a young girl, 11 years old, and, and dealing with all of this stuff. And so what we... What she goes through in this story is, is kind of similar. I took it um, sort of like the Wizard of Oz kind of thing, where Dorothy has these, these three archetype characters that are around her that, that accompany her through this experience. And so we have similar sort of archetypes that are around Charlie that represent her dealing with, for one, this, the transformation that you have from being a young child, moving into adolescence and becoming more of an adult and starting to think and act and mentally process and emotionally process things like an adult, um, and also having these archetypes that are her deeper characters that kind of come out in in these scenes. And so this cave experience is uh, is really a big turning point where you you see her uh, become captured to begin with because of the sort of the childish emotions that are there and and, uh, and the quick responses to things and just the 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 anger and frustration, sort of the childish activities, to suddenly being able to and starting to process what she's gone through and think through things in a more rational and and logical manner through kind of an introspective thing that she goes through with uh, the bat that's in the cave. And so the scene uh, you yeah, know, really enjoyed because this um, sort of iconic scene for for Charlie, is this range of motions right so jolene has to begin with the setting of fear and then this discovery of this bat that's in the cave and then this introspective side and even and even kind of more fear and and then you know digging into why she's got these fears and concerns and then recognizing that bad is there's not this terrible thing, but someone that might be able to help her out and and then the, the sort of the joy of of finding a new friend and building this friendship and learning to trust again. And so, so so right off in chapter two, you've got Jolene having a not only a young child, but having to be able to demonstrate all of these, this massive range of emotion through this time period. And so that, that to me is why this is the iconic scene for Jolene in, in the period here, starting in Chapter 2. We'll play a couple of those pieces for you uh, as Charlie learns to, to trust. Here you are.
2: How? How can you possibly see me?
1: Queried Charlie
3: as she bravely choked in the remainder of her sobs.
2: It's too dark in
0: here.
3: Oh, yes. Very silly of me, of course. I cannot see anything, my dear, for I am blind, replied the creature from somewhere to her left.
2: Well, that doesn't make any sense. If you are
0: blind and it's completely dark, then how could you possibly see me?
3: Well, my dear, you're not the quietest of creatures. You make a lot of noise. And, well, noise helps me to see responded the creature, who now made a few shuffling movements of its own.
1: It suddenly dawned on Charlie that there was only one creature she had learned about that could use sound to see.
2: (gasps) You're a bat! Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I don't know very much about bats at all,
1: noted Charlie as she began to tug at the vines until she found one that was not as tight as the
3: others. No, no, you do not, but it is okay we bats are used to these things people often make judgments about others that uh, look or sound or act differently than they do
0: yes you are right cassie used to say the same thing to me all the time
1: for a moment they sat in silence as charlie continued to work to free jeremy from the tangle of vines and after a few moments bonds became loose
3: and slid to the ground ah yes Ah, that feels so good. Now, if only I had a juicy orange, this would be a perfect day. <laughs> In spite
1: of herself, Charlie laughed, something she had not done since arriving here.
0: Okay,
2: now, how do we get out of here?
3: Aha! Uh-huh. Now, Jeremy will save you, just like you saved Jeremy.
0: finished here for now. It was very nice to meet you, and it's a very pretty display you've made. I need to be looking again. I'm on the 43rd floor, and my name is Joan. Joan Willard Stewart. If you see her... We haven't time for niceties, Charlie Company. If we're to last the night, we must prepare now. Off you go. Get inside while Salazar and your bat friend fly reconnaissance for us. Well... I suppose our work here is
1: done. The next character we have for you is played by Nikki Richards from Top of the Round, a fun uh, actual play podcast, and I will say that Nikki's character in Top of the Round is absolutely nothing like the characters that she plays here for me, and the range... (laughs) Of of characters that she can play is just just amazing. Uh, Nikki was one, so she she played uh, in this uh, two characters. One is uh, Joan or Aunt Noni, the same same character as Joan and Aunt Noni, uh, and that's the the adoptive parent of Charlie. And uh, she also plays later on in the story uh, the Stone Lieutenant, who's more of a cartoonish type character uh, that we have. But Joan is the 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 key. Character and, and Nikki just so she would give the the lines to me for each sort of episode one at a time, and so you see this growth in her character as as she really starts to uh, embrace and become and mold Joan the character, so that you're I mean to me you're, you're you're cheering for Joan in the end here, right? I mean there were some tearful moments as I'm trying to edit, I'm in tears because of the performance that she had. Just a rain, this this just amazing amount of of um, heart that she placed into this Joan character, so that Joan is believable, and and you want to root for Joan, and you fear for Joan, and you uh, you agonize with her, and and um, just being able to see and to feel through her eyes, and she so Nikki just did a phenomenal job of fully embodying Joan, which I I hadn't you know initially written as as being as much of a lead character as she wound up becoming because Nikki demonstrated this this just ginormous range and heart that she had that uh, I wound up writing an entire scene. And in fact, the iconic scene that that I'll play here, and probably in, in its full, is or portion of it at least, is the graveside scene. So this graveside scene where she's going to her sister's grave, and this takes place uh, chapter 8 officially, and so I actually wrote, this uh, entirely just because of Nikki's acting uh, abilities and added it to there and and in writing this scene it was the decision point for me that I was going to take this story beyond the this initial arc when i first uh, started with you know Charlie saves christmas the idea was well this is it we're just going to do six stories and it's going to be this nice little you know sweet christmas time holiday sort of seasonal story and as my actors started to give me um, just they were awesome. I said, you know, maybe there's more to it than this, and and they deserve to have a better story than this short story. And so I started expanding the writing and digging more into it. And in this case, this uh, this scene, she confronts it, and there's this there's a piece in this scene that a reveal basically, which is me sharing with my audience that there is a lot more to this story, and there is more to come. So in fact, um, there's a whole new. Series that we're about to launch in April, time frame. Hopefully, we'll get that out, uh, which is called Cassie and the Spectral Shade. And uh, so that's following the story of Cassie, which takes place right about the same, same time frame that this does. So it's a, it's a parallel story uh, to what you have here. And then I've scoped out another uh, follow on from there to be a full sort of trilogy. That will play off of these pieces uh, for Joan. So you may see Joan in the in the future. In fact, I think you're going to see Joan uh, come back in the future. Nikki, I don't think even knows that at this point, but she's she's just such a, a wonderful character that that um, that Nikki created. Uh, that, anyway, it, it it's just phenomenal. So she almost forced my hand to to create this additional scene to get uh, to get more out of her and to almost as a thank you to how much Nikki put into uh, into this character and, and the growth that you saw in at least I got to see behind the scenes in line after line and week after week as as she's transforming and, and giving more and showing uh, the reins that she's got as, as an actress uh, was, was just incredible. So uh, thank you, Nikki. Uh, for sculpting a fully conceived, a believable character that's dealing with just immense pressure. Again, her sister dies. She adopts two girls. She gains this instant family. She's got no budget because the the job that she's got doesn't pay that much. She's on public housing and assistance. Uh, She's doing her best. She's shouldering this huge secret about her sister's disappearance. And then suddenly Charlie's gone. She's faced with uh, the state coming in to potentially take Charlie away. And I mean, it's it's all of that, and and it just as as Nikki was starting to give these lines, it, it came clear that she could absolutely handle uh, whatever I could throw at her, and so it, it just expanded the the story from there, which was um, fantastically awesome. So iconic scene, uh, the graveside scene, followed by the Stone Lieutenant's initial appearance, which I thought was. Kind of uh, kind of fun. And we'll, we'll add a little piece of that. The The Stone Lieutenant, she did a great job on, too, which, uh, frankly, you may not know that that was the same actress, that same actor doing both parts. Uh, but that was much more of a cartoonish type uh, character, a little bit more. As, as the story was moving, I needed to have some comic relief. I, I definitely had characters already built in. You'll, you'll get a couple of those that are here. Uh, but needed to add that in the end because of the, the kind of the heaviness of the subject matter. And so the, the stone lieutenant was born and, and she did such a phenomenal job with the stone lieutenant as well uh, that I added some additional scenes and made that character more. I was originally just going to voice that character myself, but she did a much better job. So so here you are, the iconic graveside scene with Joan and a little snippet of the stone lieutenant.
0: Where did you go, Janet?
1: The words were out of her mouth before she could think. With a furtive glance, she looked around the empty graveyard as if worried that someone might hear. Seeing no one, she knelt down toward the small, rounded headstone.
0: "Kept my promise, Janet. The girls don't know. No one knows, but... Janet, if you're out there somewhere, you have got to help me.
1: Joan reached out a hand to dust a smattering of flakes that had just landed on top of the gravestone.
0: I know what the coroner said. He said you drowned. They said your body was washed away, Janet. Janet, I can feel you, Janet.
1: Her voice had risen now, even as tears froze at the corners of her eyes. She made a fist with her hand and pounded the top of the headstone as a sob broke the silence.
0: <laughs> Janet, Charlie is gone. I can't lose her too. I can't lose her like I lost you.
1: (laughs) Joan was now gripping the top of the headstone with both hands. Her head bowed between her arms as she breathed deeply to catch her breath. Why
0: did you leave me? Why did you run out into the night like this? It was just a stupid argument. I should never have spoken about Charles like that, but you know me. You know I didn't mean it. Not a step further, any of you. You have entered the official territory of the Stone Army, and I, as its lieutenant, require you to present yourselves or be utterly destroyed.
1: This last, it said so matter-of-factly that Charlie found herself chuckling again, as the small stone <laughs> creature was not much larger than she.
0: Hey you? Can you?
1: The voice of Mift was sharp as the small chipmunk tapped the stone head furiously with a soft paw. I say,
0: what magic is this?
1: inquired the lieutenant, turning its head this way and that, and nearly dislodging Mift, who clung on ferociously.
0: What manner of dark magic is this? I will have you know that the stone army is impervious to your inconsequential powers, so you might as well surrender now before the trouble begins. Mr. Kettle, I appreciate the
2: unfettered access you granted me in the child abandonment investigation. Fe- My f- balls. Mr. Kettle, I appreciate the unfettered access you granted me in the child abandonment investigation. <sighs> How is it so hard to say child abandonment investigation? Mr. Kettle I appreciate the unfettered access you granted me in the child abandonment investigation that brought me to your building. And I've prepared a report that I would like to share my findings before- I see. So we're dispensing with the niceties then. Fair enough? Mr. Kettle, the state has investigated a suspected issue of child abandonment and neglect with one of the residents of your state and federally subsidized tenant buildings. While this case remains open, in the course of our investigation and in keeping with established memoranda between our departments i have shared my findings regarding your compliance with the relevant laws and regulations that may impact our findings that's not a thing that is at all a thing i'ma rewrite that i love you daniel mr kettle the state has investigated a suspected case of child abandonment and neglect with one of the residents of your state and federally subsidized tenant buildings while that case remains open in the course of our investigation and in keeping with established memoranda between departments, I have shared my findings regarding pop-pop. that's <inaudible> That's what I've shared my findings with. Hey. You, Mr. Kettle, have been served. Mr. Harvey Kettle, and as the proprietor of <inaudible> <inaudible> Mr. Harvey Kettle. And as the proprietor of Kelly. Why do I keep. <laughs> proprietor. Mr. Harvey Kettle. And as the proprietor of Kettle. I am so mad right now.
1: All right, so next up, Alexandria Young Ray.
2: Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. This is a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not so true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm Alexandria Young-Ray with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bellon.
1: So Alex has been helping me from the beginning. She's a lawyer by trade. And so she's brought a whole lot more... Phenomenal acting for sure, but actually, from an advisement standpoint, uh, has been just phenomenal, as well as a you know, support and cheerleader and all those kinds of things. But way back when I did a courtroom scene in, in the original Centralia type actual play series, was the first real audio drama piece that I did that started all of this. And I could not have done that scene without her guidance and helping to shape a realistic scene. And that's part of what I wanted to bring to all of these things is that there's certainly fantasy elements, but there it needs to be tied and based in something that's real so that even a professional that's kind of listening to it wouldn't be turned turned off by by it being completely fantastical and unrealistic. And so grounding these characters in the story in in something that could actually happen was was really important. So she plays two Two characters. One is Adeline, and Adeline is the, the antelope, the beginning, uh, the, the, the matriarch, sort of, uh, if you will, or, or patriarch even, uh, type character who's one half of two sisters. Uh, there's Millicent, who is on the villain side, and there's Adeline, and there was a rift between them and the, the struggle over the woodlings. And Adeline's the first one to kind of uh, find find Charlie, and is trying to to keep uh, things together for the Woodlings and not tap into these these ancient powers that are threatening to sort of tear the whole world um, apart. And so you've got Adeline that she picked, and she also then performed as as Miss Fillmore, who is the case the case management or the child protective services officer. And and one of the things I wanted there. Uh, kind of in both of these parts, they needed to be strong characters. They need to be strong women. In fact, uh, so one, one thing that's really important to me is building strong characters all the way around. And especially in my female characters, because I've got two daughters and, and have always, uh, it, you know, I've had a strong wife and, and mother and, and uh, great aunts, you know, and grandmas throughout my, um, my experience in my family. We've, I've had just phenomenal uh, examples of strong women. And so it's important for me to to have that in this story as well, and these two characters especially. You know, I don't I don't like the the way that a lot of stories are written where they kind of write you know, write the women off because that isn't reality. Uh, women have have really led and, and built most you know just a phenomenal amount of society, and it's it's um, gratifying to me now to start to see more of that come into play in in actual history books and, and those sorts of things, uh, where it wasn't so much the case when, when I was growing up. You didn't have a lot of, of these strong female icons or characters They they're written off really as, uh, you know, as pretty and weak, and I'm, I'll, I'll not have any of that in, um, in my story. So in any case, I had these two, and I wanted them to be a little bit different. So you've got uh, Adeline, who's almost more of a, a patriarchal character here, She's, she's a strong leader and she's trying to hold the woodlings together and she's not going to take a whole lot of uh, guff off of Charlie. Uh, and she's getting her, her, uh, the woodlings together to combat the what she believes are these poor decisions by Millicent. And so the iconic scene that I have for her is gathering the army together and this, this strong sort of uh, militaristic pre-battle speech. Those that don't know, I was able to serve our country in Iraq, and so I've heard, you know, some of these things. I've been in that kind of combat environment, and took uh, from that experience, and, and placed that, embedded that here. So I needed someone who could actually handle uh, that kind of speech, and uh, and Alex is absolutely one of those. She does phenomenal, phenomenal job incredibly believable. I would follow her into battle. I'm sure you hear her uh, in these scenes, um, you'd feel absolutely the same as well. Very believable uh, character. Miss Fillmore was one that comes onto the scene where traditionally the the case manager, the child protective services are viewed as the bad guys. And I don't view it like that. I have a training as a a counselor, worked with many social workers throughout my life and career, and uh, they're phenomenal people. And and they usually get bad wraps. And so in this case, we sort of introduce this character who becomes part of the saving grace, part of the fulcrum. And both of these characters really are, but they're they're part of the fulcrum that tip the scales uh, back in favor of our heroes when things look the, the bleakest. But they don't they don't show that immediately. They have these these strong personas uh, that are more opaque. You can't just see straight through them, right? They don't wear their heart on their sleeve. They do what needs to be done and they do the right thing and they do the right thing all the time. So, I mean, how do you like embody this character? Well, I mean, Alex absolutely embodied that perfectly in both characters and uh, and so I had no problems actually sticking uh, scenes where she's performing both characters side by side because they were um, inflection and tone similar but but different enough um, in different enough settings that I, I think it comes off perfectly well you you may not have known that was the same uh, actor doing both of those characters and and so believably so So the, the I've got two iconic scenes I want to look through uh, one is the, the speech on the stump by Adeline where she's gathered the woodling army around her just a wow, chills every time I would listen to that in the editing process. And then when Fillmore confronts, uh, Miss Fillmore confronts Mr. Kettle, was a whole scene I actually crafted again later on because I knew she could handle that scene. And uh, it was an important crux that I added to the story uh, near the end because I felt that she had developed this character which was initially meant to just have a couple lines and be a small bit part. And, you know, because of the the acting in the, the first couple lines first scenes that she had I was like you know she deserves more this is a great character let's let's build this story out a bit more and so she became uh, much more of a character uh, heading into the later portions of um, of the story than she was when I initially started it because uh, of Alex Alex's uh, phenomenal acting skills uh, so here you are the two iconic scenes uh, first is Adeline and the second is uh, miss Fillmore
2: but we are the woodlings. We are bound to this great forest. This is our home. For uncounted cycles, we and our ancestors have stood against every power that threatened.
1: She turned back toward them, rage filling her voice.
2: Only once has one of our own turned against the forest.
1: In saying this, she stomped a hoof on the great stump, which was created that day as the mother tree had been cut down.
2: We are few, but we are determined. We are few, but we will stand together. We are few, but we rally this day to stand against this evil. We are few, but we are the forest, and the forest is ours. To the place of the stones, to stop this madness. We are the forest, and the forest is ours. We are the forest, and the forest is ours.
1: Again, great cries arose from the woodlings as they turned as one and began to make their way to the place of stones with speed. In moments, Adeline was alone, as silence now hung heavy over the great stump.
2: We are few. Too few, I fear. I see. So we are dispensing with the niceties, then? Fair enough. Mr. Kettle. The state has investigated a suspected issue of child abandonment and neglect with one of the residents of your state and federally subsidized tenant buildings. While that case remains open, in the course of our investigation and in keeping with the established memoranda between our departments, I have shared my findings regarding your compliance with the relevant laws and regulations to the Department of Fair Housing and Employment.
1: Mr. Kittle crashed to his feet, knocking his chair backwards and into the display case behind him rattling the contents within. Ah,
3: that's enough, woman.
1: You should leave now before this becomes unpleasant. His meaty hand reached the phone on his desk but pause before lifting the receiver one thing that no longer surprised Miss Fillmore was the instinct of a cornered man to threaten violence, and while this particular man appeared more likely than most to actually make good on his threat, she knew that she had taken the right course of action. With this, she held out the manila envelope toward him, having the expected effect of cutting through his rising emotion.
2: Here, the details are inside.
1: Mr. Kettle reached over the desk and quickly swiped the folder from her hand, tearing at the small string that held the package closed.
3: What is this, exactly?
1: Kettle's voice was a veritable snarl. Miss Fillmore gave him a moment to open the envelope and begin to slide the bound document, its embossed seal glinting in the dim light.
2: You, Mr. Kettle, have been served.
1: Okay, so we're going to pause here and pick up the rest of the characters in a a part two of Charlie's Heroes. Because after I recorded all this, I found that it was really long and no one wants to listen to that much uh, in terms of length. So we're going to come back with some of the other characters, hopefully next week. I'll try to turn this around a little bit faster than the uh, the two-week type of swing. And so thanks for listening here. And uh, we'll see you back in a couple of weeks. One last note is I've just launched a Kickstarter campaign. As I'm trying to, um, well, be nuts, I guess, take this story and turn it into a novel that will be one in a series uh, as we go forward here. And so I've got a lot of uh, that done. I've changed the title from Charlie Saves Christmas to Charlie and the Celestial Star, and have broadened some of the, well, taken the the script because the the script I can add a lot of sound and audio to it to. to describe the environment. So you have to kind of write that when you're doing the writing side of it. Uh, but what I need is some professional proofreading help for the manuscript, as well as I'd love some illustrations of the characters and uh, and some more of the scenes. And so that all is costs some money in it. So if you can help me with that investment, the neat thing about Kickstarter is it's an all or nothing funding. So I either get the money I'm looking for and I've outlined where I'm gonna put that and how I'm gonna invest that. So that doesn't come back to me. That really goes straight into being able to Publish this, uh, do this uh, self-publishing piece of things, and so um, it's either it's an all or nothing. You don't, you won't spend anything if if it's not funded, and if it is fully funded, then you'll definitely uh, get the reap the rewards of that. Um, I think most of the. The levels that you can come in on have either the digital book or, or the actual physical copy, and it cost about that much anyway. So you aren't losing anything, but uh, you could really help help me launch a first uh, novel. It's uh, a new thing, something I've wanted to do for a, a very long time and waited probably too long to to get something like this started. Anyway, so love anything that you could, uh, any way you could help out, put the link to, to that Kickstarter on here. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to enjoy uh, that published book that comes from that. Thanks for listening. We'll pick up the rest of Charlie's Heroes uh, just about a week from now. Take care.
2: Now, Charlie, you and I have a deal. I'll be back for Christmas, which isn't that long from now. And you are going to make new friends and help Aunt Nani. You can't just leave me. Truly, I won't be gone long. And Aunt naughty needs your help. You don't need to keep saying it. Charlie, I know this makes you sad. And I know you're sad because you love me. Promise me you'll be helpful. Okay.
0: I love you.
3: The Happy-Go-Lucky
1: Podcast, producers of Charlie Saves Christmas, bring you our next heartwarming adventure. Cassie and the Spectral Shade opens April 6th, 2020.
0: We are Captain Ryan Stories, a kids' story podcast meant for bedtime, long car rides, or just to capture kids' attention. Come set sail with Captain Ryan, Brady, and Nora as they adventure to new places and learn life lessons along the way. We promise promise you'll you'll love it. You can find us in all major podcast listening services, and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram.